Luke 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was himself about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, and so on. Here is a strange scene. Jesus, the sinless one, is being baptized. Strange. We live in a, a celebrity culture, don't we? We uh, put people uh, up on pedestals, uh, and they're famous often just because of the fact they're famous. But in AD 26, there was a real celebrity in Palestine, and he was unlike any that we have in our own day, unlike the celebrities of our day who go out into the Australian jungle for the TV show. John didn't go out into the desert to court fame and popularity. But nevertheless, there was something about John the Baptist. There was something about his, his rugged personality. Uh, he was dressed in a tunic of camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. There was something about the uncompromising nature of his message, calling people to repent of their sins. Something that was magnetic and pulled people from all parts. Uh, Matthew tells us that people were coming not just from uh, the Jordan area, but they were coming from uh, Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region along the Jordan. I want you, if you will, to imagine in your minds uh, what the scene was like. Imagine what it would have been like to have been a spectator that day. Uh, to have been looking down on the crowd. Imagine this crowd like the, the, the kind of scene that you see when uh, a football stadium has emptied and the, the streets around are blackened with people. Uh, imagine this kind of uh, teeming uh, population along the banks of the Jordan. And you see down there in the river the baptizer with his tunic uh, of camel's hair, his piercing eyes and his voice that thunders out uh, calling people to repent, calling people to be upfront and not to be hypocrites and not to pretend that they're doing something which they're not doing. And he's talking about the fruit of repentance that people need to show. And looking down from your vantage point, you can see uh, the kind of people that are going down into the river to be baptized. All kinds of people. There are tax collectors who are looked down upon. There are religious people who thought that they were better than the rest. There are people who are notorious. People who are known to have been pickpockets. Small time uh, con men. Prostitutes. People with broken lives. One by one, uh, people are being plunged uh, into the river and they are returning, uh, dripping to the river bank. And it looks as though business is over for the day. And then you notice a stranger 
winding his way through the crowd and walking into the river and approaching John and clearly asking to be baptized. And then something strange is happening. There's something of a a conversation between uh, the baptizer and the stranger, who you learn later is Jesus of Nazareth. John's reluctant to baptize him. There's a verbal struggle. John's saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are asking me to baptize you. Jesus insists. And John goes along with the request. And he baptizes Jesus. And Jesus comes out of the water. And he's standing there praying. And just then... All heaven breaks loose. That curtain that uh, divides the seen from the unseen is momentarily open. And we have a sight of the invisible world. There is a dove descending on Jesus. Jesus would tell his disciples later that this was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is normally invisible. Who is like the wind. And then... There's a voice that all can hear, even those who are at a distance. A voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, no one who was on the, at the Jordan that day would ever have forgotten that scene, but more importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ would never forget what took place with Never forget the words that were spoken. Because this is an act of of affirmation. It's a confirmation by the Father and the Spirit. Declaration of of their love. It's one of these remarkable occasions when uh, right together we have the three persons of the Trinity. There is the Father who speaks from heaven. The Holy Spirit who's descending like a dove. And the the Son who is the one... uh, at the centre of it all. We're being reminded that God is in a mysterious way three persons. It's a mystery. But we still want to ask what is going on here? What is going on? If you read Matthew's account of the, the baptism of Jesus. You get a very clear indication that John is, is perplexed and even disturbed by Jesus' request to baptize him. Matthew says, but John tried to deter him. And the word uh, for deter is a word that indicates a, a continuous action. So there's something of a, of a struggle. There's a, an ongoing uh, resistance to what Jesus wants to do. John really put up a fight. Couldn't see the sense of Jesus coming to be baptized. And the reason for his reluctance is that John knew That Jesus is different. John knew that Jesus is not a sinner who needs to be uh, forgiven of his sin. But he will be the sin bearer. He is the sinless one. Uh, John will later on point. Look, the Lamb of God, spotless, pure. Who takes away the sin of the world. So why did Jesus get baptized and what's its relevance 
And Luke, as we said, is very, very concise in the account. He doesn't give us an answer. doesn't spell it out. It's going to become clearer as we go along. But John, uh, Luke rather is, is a, a great writer. He, he doesn't spoon feed us. He wants to maintain our interest. He's keeping us on our toes. And in fact, uh, he is giving us clues in the genealogy that follows. Now, when we read that list of names, you might not have uh, thought uh, in your heart of hearts that this is really uh, going to help us very much understanding the baptism. Uh, because uh, 99% of the names there are really not known to us. And yet, they are an important clue, at least the, the ones that we recognize, are an important clue as to what is going on here. A genealogy can be very helpful in telling us something about a person, putting them in, in a context, telling us about what is going on. Uh, just to give an example, I was at a funeral on Friday, and the funeral, I was in Motherwell, the funeral was that the mother of a, a Christian teacher in, in Coatbridge High School. Uh, the, the teacher is a Christian. Her late mother was also uh, a lovely Christian. And unusually, uh, at this time, the interment in the graveyard uh, was first, took place before the service. And when I got to the graveyard, I found I didn't know any of the people who were gathered in that crowd. And as there were other interments taking place in this large graveyard, thought occurred to me, I might be at the wrong place. <laughs> this may not be the, 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 the right interment. And then I saw a genealogy. Of course, it was a genealogy on the gravestone by the opened grave. And it had the name Moreland on it. This lady was from that line of people. And it's a name that's in Coatbridge associated with the gospel, some of us know. And that gave me assurance that I was in the right place. And in the same way, the genealogy that Luke inserts after the baptism is telling us something about Jesus and about what is going on. It's a clue. And that's why we have it here, sandwiched between two very exciting pieces of drama, the baptism and the temptation of Jesus. Here, rather than at the beginning of the gospel, as Matthew has his genealogy, because it's here for a purpose. It's going to shed some light on what's taking place. What is taking place? Well, it's a, de a declaration, first of all, that Jesus is for us. Jesus is for us. And then secondly... Uh, it's giving notice that he has come as our priestly king. Telling us something about the nature of uh, his public ministry, which is commencing here. And then thirdly, it's an announcement of love. Okay? Jesus is for us. Jesus is beginning his work as a priestly king. And love for Jesus and for us is being announced. Jesus is for us. Think again of what was going through John's mind as Jesus came uh, to him. As Jesus wound his way through that ragamuffin crowd that thronged the riverside. He's thinking, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, 
to quote Mrs. Thatcher, uh, no, no, no. This isn't right. There's something quite wrong about this. This isn't fitting. This baptism has to do with sin. You are the one person who does not need to have this baptism. Uh, you don't belong with these people. This is a sign for those who have sins to repent of. You're the only one in the world who doesn't need to have this sign. But Jesus came and he identified with that group of people. He placed himself in their midst. And to reinforce that, Luke gives us this list of names. This genealogy into which Jesus has been inserted. And it's a list of names, and as I said, most of them aren't known to us, but what we do know is that they were all sinners. They all had their failings. The obscure names that are there, the men amongst them fell out with their wives, had heated arguments, were guilty of betrayals. They had checkered careers. And then there are those that we do recognize, and there are names that seem to us uh, indicating that they were heroes, uh, that they were uh, real standard bearers of the faith. But when we think a little more, we realize that they were also guilty of major sins. David is there. David's mentioned. David, who's guilty of adultery and murder, and lying to cover up his tracks. And there's Judah, dealer in slaves. Abraham, the liar. Terah, idolater. Noah, the man who got drunk. Adam, the first sinner. And Jesus comes alongside this humanity. A humanity that is fatally wounded by the fall that has a sinful nature, uh, that is losing hope, that's deeply unhappy, that keeps on falling on its face time after time. And Jesus, because he is a true man, will bear the sin of these and of others in himself. He will make them his very own. He will bear them on the cross of Calvary. He will take the fall for them. He will take the rap. He will be crucified for sinners on the cross of Calvary. And that's why Jesus is there in the Jordan. And that is the message that his baptism is sending out. As Jesus winds his way through this motley crowd of sinners, Jesus is saying, I am for them. I am identifying with them. I will one day bear their sin. I'm the second Adam. In me, you can begin again. The baptism of Jesus is telling us that Jesus is for us. He's identifying with us. It's also telling us about what he will do for us. It's telling us he'll come as a, as a priest and a king. That's where we are thinking uh, not so much of the baptism, but of the 
The coming down of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. Now, Luke is very clear here. He wants us to understand that this was not some mystical, uh, invisible experience that Jesus had. This was something that was visible. That the Holy Spirit came and all could see it. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as a dove. I think we're to see this. I know that we're to see this as an anointing of the Holy Spirit. I know because this is how Jesus uh, himself speaks of the, the Holy Spirit coming. Isaiah 61 verse 1 is quoted by Jesus when he preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth. And speaks about himself and his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, anointing is a really important word. It's a really important word because uh, the words Messiah, which we have in the Old Testament, which is from a Hebrew word, and Christ, which we have in the New Testament, both mean anointed one. Okay? So to understand what Jesus is doing, uh, you have to think about the kind of people who were anointed in the Bible. And they include priests and kings. King was anointed with oil. Priests were anointed with oil for their ministry. Now Jesus has come as both a priest and a king. He's come also as a prophet. But it's priests and kings that are here to the fore in the baptism. And Luke tells us, if you look at verse 23, that Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Why does Luke tell us that? He's condensed things right down. It's because a priest began his ministry at the age of 30. You couldn't be a priest before you were 30. But if you were from the priestly family, if you were a son of Aaron of the tribe of Levi, at age 30 you could begin your ministry. Jesus is commencing his ministry as a priest. Luke's flagging something up here. He's telling us this work that Jesus is beginning has to do with the kind of things that a priest did. What did the priest do? Well, a priest was there to represent his people before God. We've seen Jesus already identifying with the people. He comes Amongst the people, amongst those who are being baptized for sins, he says, I am for you. I will represent you before a holy God. The priest represented his people. But the priest did more than that. He made sacrifice. And all the way through the Old Testament, the rules and regulations about sacrifice are reminding us that sin is serious, serious enough to require a life to be forfeit, but God is merciful and God will accept uh, a sacrifice uh, in order to be just and the justifier of those who sin. He will forgive because sacrifice has been made. The mention of Isaac, uh, the son of Abraham, uh, in, the, in the, the genealogy is also another trigger to our memory. Isaac the son of Abraham. We think back to that time in Abraham's life, uh, that day that he would never forget, 
When he walked up Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, with the world at his shoulders, because God had told him to sacrifice Isaac, your son, your only son. And the two of them walked up together with barely a word between them. And with every step, Abraham's heart is breaking. And he goes And we're told in the New Testament that he believed that God was able to even raise his son from the dead because of his obedience. And he is there and Isaac is on the altar and the knife is raised and God spares Isaac. And most interestingly, there is a voice from heaven and God provides a substitute. There's a ram which is sacrificed in Isaac's place. Here at the baptism of Jesus, there's an echo of that voice that spoke to Abraham. And we're to think now of Jesus as the second Isaac, the one who is given over by his father who loves him. His father's heart which breaks because of the costliness of the sacrifice. But unlike Isaac, Jesus is not spared. He gives up his life for his people. The coming down to the Spirit, Jesus' baptism is telling us that Jesus is being set apart for the day when he will bear our sins. He has been commissioned, set apart as a priest, the only priest, friends, that we will ever need, whose work is completely finished. Jesus, who is both priest and sacrifice in one. The anointing, of course, also speaks of the fact that Jesus is coming as king, because kings were also anointed. They had the oil of of anointing at their coronation. Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and he's coming to bring in the kingdom of God. Uh, We see in the genealogy again that he is the son of David. Verse 31, son of David, the son of Jesse. David is the the great uh, model king of Israel. Uh, He is the the ideal king in, in many ways. Despite his flagrant sins, he has this heart for God. And here we have David's greater son come to be our king, come to uh, demand of us our allegiance, asking of you and, and of me to place our lives under his rule because he has conquered his and our enemies on the cross of Calvary. Every knee will bow to him Every tongue confess that he is Lord at the last day. He comes as our king. He will turn the cross of Calvary into his battle chariot. And he will rout his enemies. He's the great king. And he's revealed as king at his baptism. Then thirdly, uh, it's the announcement of love. The words now of the the father uh, to the son. Jesus, our priest king, comes to the Jordan 
he accepts the call of his father. His father has sent him out of love for people like you and like me. People who have been rendered hopeless and helpless by the fall. Helpless to avoid the, the, the cosmic calamity that will come upon mankind when God comes to judge. A deliverer has been sent and Jesus is willing to go. And he uh, makes public his willingness to go to the cross by this baptism. He is saying, I am identifying with this people. I will be their priest. I will be their king. And then the voice of the father is heard. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. Now the father always loved the son. And the father is well pleased with the son throughout his life. But there's something special about what's happening here. And the verb uh, to be well pleased is, has a tense which indicates that it's a, a decisive act of being well pleased. And it's because of what's just happened. The Father is pleased because Jesus has come and has taken on this commission. He's shown that he's willing to come for us poor sinners. And the Father's delight is expressed in that act of obedience. He is well pleased that Jesus will carry our griefs and bear our sorrows. He'll be the one who will pay the price of sin. And heaven smiles. Heaven smiles. And we share that smile. It's a wonderful thing, uh, isn't it? In different ways to bask in someone else's uh, glory or happiness. Might be occasions when, uh, if you're married, uh, something really nice has been said about your, your husband or your wife, and you're able to, to, to bask in that uh, reflected glory because you're connected, you are one. Uh, or think of, of a much more mundane level uh, at, at school, at the end of the inter-school football league, when your team has won. And you share in the applause when uh, the captain goes up to collect the cup. You are sharing in the applause. You're sharing in the glory because you are part of that team who won. Even although all the way through you are on the substitute's bench, you share in that reflected glory. Well, friends, we share in the Father's approval of the Son. And this good word, this benediction that falls on the Son is spoken to us as well if we are Christians, if we are united to Jesus. God's smile is on you also. This is a wonderful truth because you're made one with him when you put your trust in him. When God says of the Son, with you I am well pleased, that good pleasure applies to you also. Now we're nearly finished. Let's just put this in intensely practical shape. The point of the baptism of Jesus, the point of the genealogy that's attached to it, is to show that Jesus is for us. 
He comes down into this stream of human life. He identifies with us in order that he could um, be our substitute, that he could save us. He comes down in order to raise us up out of the mire of sin. Uh, He comes to turn the pronouncement of guilty, the announcement of the wrath of God, into the declaration of innocent and the word of approval. I am well pleased with you. But friends, we don't automatically share in that blessing. Just because Jesus has come, was baptized, went to the cross, does not automatically mean that we share these benefits. Unless we are joined to Jesus by personal faith in him, all these benefits will lie outside us, will not have any good to us. And so here's the first challenge, friends. Trust in Jesus. Really do it. Pray to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins and accepting him as your saviour, as your priest and king. And do it as a matter of real urgency. Don't wait till later on. Do it today. Do it at the end of the service in the quiet that we have, at the close of the service. Have a personal dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't delay. Trust in Jesus as your substitute. Now if you've done that, if you've already done that in your life, then live it out. Live it out. Remember that your acceptance before God doesn't depend on your performance, but it depends only on Christ's perfection. You are accepted in the beloved. You are loved in Christ. God couldn't love you any more now than he already does because he loves you as one who is united in his son. So live in that love. Remind yourself of it today and tomorrow and on Tuesday, on days when things are going badly, on days when people are critical of you, on days when you're critical of yourself and you feel that you're doing badly. Remind yourself, I share in that word of God spoken to Jesus. You are my son with you. I'm well pleased. It's the greatest medicine to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It's the greatest medicine to uh, nastiness hurled against us. To refocus on the acceptance that we have in God alone because of Jesus. This time of year, you know, the actors and actresses get all hot and bothered about who's going to be nominated for BAFTA awards and all the rest of this. Politicians get worked up about their ratings. While we have a 100% approval rate in Christ. Loved and accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege to be known by God in that way. This is good news. This is freedom. Let us live in that freedom. Let's bow in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it was for our, our sakes, for the, the sakes of a sinful, broken people that Jesus came into the world. 
Thank you that it was to identify with us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Not for his own sin, but to tell all who would watch and hear later that he came alongside the sinner and would die on the cross on their behalf. Lord, we pray that this good news will be real in every heart here this morning. Help us to believe in the one that you have provided, the one with whom you are pleased. And help us, Lord, having trusted in him, to know that your good pleasure, your love, your satisfaction, falls on us also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.